we praise you because uh, you are the God who provides and you are the God who sees us. And you see us this morning in our need and in our joy and in our disappointment. You see the successes and you see the broken dreams and you see us in our relationships with one another and you see us, you see us in our relationship with you and you hear us. You hear us when we cry and you also (laughs) hear the silence when we don't cry. So hear us this morning as we say, as we sing, take all of us. God, we want to take a minute and offer to you by way of surrender and by way of confession those things that we're holding on to, those things that inhibit us from being able to say to full effect, take all of me, reign in me. Lord, we offer up our sinful tendencies, those ways that we damage relationships and we, I don't know, screw up our own future, get off the path, derail our journey. We also confess to you our weak, what we've said and done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. Maybe it's the same category, God, but we also want to take a minute and offer up our fears and our worries. For some of us today, it's health. For some of us today, it is finances or work or lack of work or relationship. You told us, Lord, to not worry about anything but in everything, by this kind of stuff, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving to make our requests known to you, and your peace that we can't even understand would guard our hearts and our minds. And sometimes, Lord, we step outside of that. So we ask you to forgive us for those times that we take stuff up ourselves, that we want to reign, that we want to decide. We don't even know it, it's instinctive. Forgive us and help us. So Father, we declare today, we want your will to be done. We want your way. Because we've seen what our way produces and it ain't good. So we want your will. Hear us. We love you and all of our hope is in you. Take all of us. Take all of us. We come today with warts and disappointments and hurts, and we ask you to take us. I went a little old school this morning, so I'm going to write on the chalkboard for a minute. Okay, so this is called a chalkboard. It's the latest technology. You can write anything on it you want. There are no glitches, nothing. (laughs) Uh, Several weeks ago, I was... I don't know, I was having one of those weeks where you feel like life is hard. And I honestly believe that God just dropped something on me that I shared a a few weeks ago with you, and I want to do it again today, because this is really, really helpful. 
for me, a helpful concept, a helpful construct. I'm, I'm sort of a math guy, so these kind of things appeal to me. And it seemed to be somewhat helpful for a lot of you as well, so I wanted to review it today. And I want to review it today partly because we're going to do something a little different today. I'm, first of all, I'm going to do this. I'm going to lay this out. And then after that, we're going to cover a broad narrative in Genesis, a long story And it is remarkable, you guys, it is remarkable that God's Word comes to us as it does. So much of God's Word, and I believe that this is God's Word. It's not only God's people trying to figure out what it means to interact with God, but it's God speaking through His people, inspired by His Spirit to interpret those stories. You know, we have a book of Proverbs that are just these nice little sayings, and it's awesome. And we got some songs in here, and we got some letters in here, but also what we've got are a lot of stories. They're just our lives seen through the lens of God's Spirit. It's kind of amazing. So we're going to look at one of those stories this morning because it's really incredible. And it gives us, may I say, a perfect illustration of what I called human activity spectrum. So <laughs> you have to say it that way. This, is, this morning, this is going to be the human activity spectrum. Dave Huffnagel, our keyboard player, is great. Earlier we had the chalkboard in the back, and Dave said, wow, entire human activity on one timeline. This is awesome. So what we're going to do with this is we're going to try to center in on this part of the board, kind of central living But before we get there, we need to look at some of the outlier areas. So what I'm going to describe up here, what I'm going to have up there is attitude. So attitude will be up here. And then down here, we're going to talk about effort. So underneath the line, we'll talk about what we do at each of these areas. Again, we're trying to hit the center. And then at the very bottom, we're just going to list kind of a a one-phrase description of the governing principle wherever you are on this spectrum. So we'll give the governing principle of each primary area. So over here, what we're describing on this side, on the left side of the arrow, and if you're listening to this later, you know, shame on you, you weren't in church, you missed it. I've drawn a line across the middle of the blackboard, and I'm going to go from left to right And I'm going to describe our activity, how we feel about it, what our emotion, what our attitude is, and also what effort we're exerting and what that effort looks like. So as we begin on the far left, well, actually, let's begin here, kind of two-thirds of the way left. We'll start with what we'll call passivity. So our attitude is we're kind of passive about life. Whatever happens, I'm going to write this phrase down, whatever happens... You know, it happens. We kind of take it as it is. If you move further to your left in the direction of passivity, really you end up with denial. And for effort, in this area of our lives, we get here really inactivity. We're really not exerting much effort. It's kind of what we might call planless. You know that old saying, when you, what is it? When you don't know where you're going, you're bound to end up there. As we get further in this direction, we end up with 
active distraction. So we fill our lives with stuff that it helps us maintain our passivity. Distraction, we seek out immediate comfort and pleasure. This is even where you get into addictive behavior, right? So you end up trying to maintain this attitude through a nightly three glasses of wine or pornography or even television. And why would you end up here? Would you end up here because it hurts too much to be disappointed? So you want to tamp down your expectation. You want to even tamp down your desires. What do you want to do? I don't care. Of course you care. You want to tamp down your desires because it's just too disappointing to have desire and to have that desire be unmet. In fact, maybe even be trampled on. If we move to the other end, and again, we're going to try to get, I haven't left a lot of room, but we're going to try to get to central living. We'll get there in a second. But let's go to the other side of the equation. Over here, we've got the attitude is, I'm depending on my plan. I'm depending on my plan. Or we've got worry. This is where we taking it on. We're depending on our plan, and we're, we're making a lot of lists. The effort is we've got to make it happen. I would say right here is kind of the sweet spot for suburban America. This is Main Street, Loudoun County. This is where most of us live, right? And when we turn off of that street, we don't have to get very far into our neighborhoods before we get to obsession and even panic. And the effort there is control. I got to keep the balls in the air. I got to keep it all under control. Let's look at the middle, the sweet spot. This is our territory right here. This is where you and I want to get to, right in the middle. And right in the middle, the attitude is trust God, trust, and believe. You know, sometimes those that have faithfully walked, they've used the word uh, faith. And the activity, the activities here are important. The activities here are surrender and remember. Actively remembering what God has done. Those of you who know George, George has become an important part of our congregation. He's living over at our office right now taking care of things for us. And George and I this week, we were on our way to visit a young man who's part of our congregation who is in prison right now. And George and I were talking about the importance of remembering who we are. Because sometimes circumstances get so dire, it's difficult to remember. And remember what God has done. And let that be the platform out of which our actions, our lives are informed. Remember what God has done. And then pray. But what we're praying for is God's will. So we're not going to God with a laundry list of I got to get this and this and oh, how about this? But we're praying for God's will. And then, let's add, and then we plan and execute. We like those words, but we plan and execute really important according to God's purposes. 
the governing principle over on this end of the spectrum. I'm on the left side now if you're listening later. The governing principle, the thing that rules us, the f- maybe the fuel behind our energy, I guess you would say, is let's call it lazy abdication. You just disappear. This is what Adam did when Satan came into the garden and said, Eve, look. It's not like God described it. Try this apple. Eve bites the apple. And Eve does exactly what we would expect. Community is so important to us that even in her sin, maybe especially in her sin, Eve wanted community. So she goes to Adam and she says, Adam, you're trying us. Okay. Adam bites too. Adam should have cut the head off of the snake. Protected the garden. And if he didn't get there in time, I had a seminary professor one time, somebody raised their hand and asked him, you know, what's the deal? What, what was Adam supposed to do? And he said, cut Eve's head off. <laughs> right? Because God had made Eve, he could make another. All right, that is not a prescription. <laughs> that, that is not a prescription for marriage. <laughs> the governing principle for the center section. What is the governing principle? What's the fuel that drives our energy? The governing principle is we are spirit disciplined. We are controlled by God's spirit. You know, the Apostle Paul talks in one point about the fruit in our lives that comes out of being spirit disciplined. One of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. You want real self-control? Not this kind, but you want real self-control? You need to be spirit-disciplined. And then, on the far side, the governing principle, you might have guessed this, you might use a different word, but I really like this. Let's call it, Ray Schmidt and I have talked a number of times using this word, let's call it self-reliant striving. Don't you just feel that word? Doesn't that just feel like a stoplight in Herndon? Self-reliant striving. This is the governing principle for this territory. I wonder which direction you lean. Different directions at different times, right? I wonder which direction you're leaning this morning. We're going to interact with that in just a second, but I want you to hear this narrative. So if you would, turn with me to Genesis chapter 16. I'd love for you to have the scripture in front of you, so on your phone or if you have a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 16. Listen to this. You know what? Let's call over here. If we had to give this a title, this side of the board, the left side of the board, if we had to give that a title, I think we could call this planless living, aimless living. Let's call this over here. Let's call this Plan B living. And this morning, we are going to see the problem with Plan B living. So we're going to look at a long narrative. Stay with me because it's really awesome. Genesis 16, now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. And this is profoundly significant. Some of you know that pain. Even more significant for a woman in the ancient Near East. But she had an Egyptian maidservant or It says here, slave. There are various ways to translate that word. But what it means is assistant. You know, you get it. And she probably picks up 
her maidservant Hagar during the time that she and Abraham are living in Egypt. They went to live in Egypt for a while, and during that time she may have acquired or she may have in some deal gotten Hagar as her maidservant. So she said to Abram, this is Sarah, so she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Again, not a recipe for marriage. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And you should know that this was not uncommon practice in the ancient Near East across all the cultures, especially in the Egyptian culture. If a woman was barren, she could have her maidservant give birth, and the child was de facto hers. Depending on the social politics of the family, she may have taken complete control of the child. Or she may have been just a partner in mothering the child, again, depending on the social politics of the home. So Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. You know, hopefully it wasn't like, okay, hot dog. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar, after they'd been living in Canaan 10 years, took his maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar. And she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So when you are inevitably, when you are operating on plan B, you get unjustifiably upset at obstacles. And you attack them. I think it would be a helpful exercise for us once a month to spend half a day and sit down with ourselves and before God and say, okay, what am I angry about? This, 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 this. Do I have a right to be as angry as I am? Because a great deal of our frustration or anger is fueled by plan B living. So we attack that which seems to stand in our way of our plan. So Hagar begins to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. And now what amounts to a curse, may the Lord judge between you and me. What? If I'm Abram, I go, wait, wasn't this your idea? But part of what happens with plan B living, is blame shifting. And then listen to Abram's response. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Right here! Okay, whatever. Just don't be mad. Passive. Maybe even denial. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar. Intentionally. Obviously. So... Hagar fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert, and this is spectacular. This angel of the Lord appearances throughout Genesis, and it happens a number of times. It's pretty incredible. And there are a lot of commentators who believe, and I do as well, who believe that many of these, not all, but many of these are actually pre-Jesus coming, pre-incarnational appearances of the second person of the Trinity. Jesus himself is coming and 
appearing on earth to these folks. So the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. And now this angel gives Hagar really the same kind of promise that God has given to Abraham and Sarah, Abram and Sarah at this point. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you're now with child and you'll have a son. You're going to call him Ishmael. And the word Shammai is the Hebrew word for here. That's why Deuteronomy 6 that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That's a prayer that Orthodox Jews pray daily. It's called the Shema because that's the word for a hear. And the word El is the short for God. So Ishmael is God hears. You're to name this child God hears because I've heard you. You shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And that doesn't sound as negative to Hagar's ears as it sounds to you and I. The wild donkey was literally a donkey out in the wilderness and it was more like a horse than a typical ass. And it was also a symbol oftentimes of freedom and individuality, probably exactly the thing Hagar most wants for herself. Well, Hagar, your son is going to have that freedom. However, he's also going to live in hostility and conflict toward all of his brothers. He's just going to be that kind of a man. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. Because typically no angel can make this kind of pronouncement. That's why the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It's still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Now, I don't care this morning how you regard the ages in Genesis. Some of you may take those as not literally according to our age. Some of you may take them as over time as human history advanced, you know, genetically, we got weaker as we got further from the garden, and that's how I tend to take this. I don't care how you take it. Abram was an old man at this point, and Hagar bears him a son. His name is Ishmael. In Genesis chapter 17, God comes again to Abram, and I'm going to read just a brief part of that, and then we'll skip on and get back over here. But I want you to see it because of the, what it reflects about Abram's reality. So in Genesis chapter 17, God comes again to Abram and he gives him a confirming sign for this relationship, this connection, this covenant that Abram has with God. So listen, Genesis 17, when Abram was 99 years old, this is 13 years later, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I'm going to confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. And Abram, in an act of worship, he's overwhelmed God's presence. Abram fell down, and God said to him, continues to talk, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. You will no longer be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. And as we said a few weeks ago, remember, the name Abram means dad. 
And the name Abraham means dad of many. So, you know, I'm going to change your name from daddy to big daddy. And his name is changed to Abraham, for I will make you the father of many nations, even though you're 99 years old. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I'll establish my covenant as everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you, the whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien. I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you. And he gives Abram the sign of circumcision. And he tells them that he, 99 years old, Abraham, and all of his sons and manservants should go out and be circumcised. Ouch. Don't like this part of the Bible, but it is there. And they eventually do so. And then later God said also to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarah. Her name will be Sarah. And it's really just another version of the same word. They both mean princess. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be with the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down and he laughed. If you're listening to this later, I'm pausing, creating awkward silence. What do you think was in that laughter? Really, God, not this again. I cannot possibly gin myself up to get excited once again about this thing you keep saying to me. I'm 99 years old. Stop it! Will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? How about that one? Abraham said to God, look, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing, if only God, if only you would baptize our plan, because we kind of made this thing work. We bought a home in South Riding. We made it work. We squeezed ourselves into that mortgage and we made it work. Would you just baptize that plan? Some of you know this, but do you know that Ishmael is the great-great-great-grandfather of Arabs? God indeed blessed him. And through no fault of his own, mostly. Plan B has been at war with plan A for generations. This little, let's try this. We're still fighting that today. Okay, let's skip over to 21. Last week, if you haven't listened to John Malella's message yet, I encourage you to. Last week, John talked about Genesis uh, 18 and 19, and it was spectacular. So we're going to skip over to 21 because we get the end of the story, the end of this part of the story. So chapter 21 of Genesis, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Stop, pause for awkward silence. 
Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. So what are you waiting on today? What are you disappointed about? What dream has died? What discouragement? Where's the anger? What prayer has not been answered? How are you dealing with it? (laughs) Which way are you running? Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him, which means laughter. It had a dual purpose, didn't it? It reminded them that this was their joy. And it also reminded them that they had looked at the face of God when he made a promise to them. And they'd laughed. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Ouch. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. I guess the answer to that question, asked in mockery, can a man bear a child at a hundred years old? I guess the answer is, of course. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had borne to Abraham was mocking. He's 13 years old at this point, maybe 14. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. I wish we had time to talk about this. But what you see here, the problem with plan B living. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also because he is your offspring. Story goes on. We won't continue. I don't know how this speaks to you this morning. Do you have some dream that's dying or has died? You believe that it was from God, but there's no sign of it becoming real. Maybe God is refining that dream. Maybe He's telling you to wait and trust. Maybe He's telling you it's the wrong dream. Have you been stuck in panic and obsession? Stuck. Because this is what happens, you guys. We start to drift this way, and I call it the downward spiral of funk. This is what happens to me. And I get here, and then I've had a history in my life uh, starting to worry, and then I worry about my worrying. And then I worry about worrying about my worrying. And then I worry about worrying about worrying about my worrying. And I get stuck. And my plan fails, and I feel overwhelmed, and I have to work through grief. Because my plan failed. And I feel derailed and I feel discouraged and I get stuck there. Maybe you've been stuck in panic and obsession and you've been trying to control everything and maybe you need to be reminded to move back to the center, to move away from plan B living. Or maybe you've abdicated. Look, this is for all of us, but I want to say a special word today to men. Maybe you have abdicated at work. I don't care. Well, of course you care. You're trying to protect yourself. It never works. 
Maybe you've abdicated with your kids. You've stepped back a step or three. Uh, I guess it'll work out. Mom, you do it. Maybe you've abdicated in your marriage, in your finances. You've abdicated. Maybe you need to move to the right. Or maybe this morning you've recognized some specific sin pattern that's damaging your relationships. Blame shifting. He said once again, pausing awkwardly. Mocking. Withdrawal. And you need to do what the Bible calls repent. You need to turn and go the other direction. You need to you need to step up. Own it and move to the right. Of course, we get stuck here too. We get stuck in a pattern of lazy abdication because we're afraid and we don't want to be disappointed. So we tell ourselves, you're not lying to us, you're lying to yourself. Because we kind of know. <laughs> we kind of know when you say, I don't care. We kind of know you do. Because we all do. And you get stuck here. In self-reliance, striving and lazy abdication. And right here, right in the middle, this is the only place where you can move through difficulty effectively and stay alive. Because when you move this direction, it has many advantages. You don't hurt as much, but you're also not alive. When you move to the left, you kill your life. Move to the right, you try to own your life and you get overwhelmed. The only place to be able to move through this effectively is right in the middle. Listen, I want to make a bold statement, but I'm absolutely convinced it's completely true, and then we're going to interact with this a little bit. I'm convinced that central living, right here, trust God and believe is your attitude. Surrender, remember, pray, and then plan and execute according to God's purposes is your effort. And then your governing principle, the fuel, is spirit discipline which builds self-control. I'm convinced that over the long run, over the long run, stay with me, over the long run, this right here, central living, in the human activity spectrum, over the long run, this always is more effective and more efficient. And it looks like it. I'm convinced we know it. Over the long run, this is more effective and more efficient living. The problem is that you and I don't get to live over the long run. We live moment by moment. And in the moment, we can't stand it. Trouble comes or difficulty comes, and we lean one direction or the other. And I'm also convinced of one more thing. You know, interestingly, you can find religion in both directions. You find very, very good Buddhists who move radically in this direction to the left. Because the heart of Buddhism is the enemy, our enemy is desire. One of the points of Buddhism is to kill desire. And you want to find the people who are the most exercised about control? Find legalists. Especially legalistic Christians and Muslims and Jews. They'll be way over here. Hinduism in different ways goes in both directions. But right in the middle, I'm convinced, is a connection to God through Jesus Christ. Because He's the only one that deals with that sin problem, the difficulty that you and I have, the 
tendency that you and I were born with to move this way or this way. He's the only one that can deal with that. Sing about that this morning in our songs. Your love is stronger. Your love is deep. It carries the weight of my sin. The only thing that can carry that and keep you alive and keep you engaged appropriately is a connection with God through Him. All right. Stand up with me if you would. We're going to take a moment. This is you personally. This is not you as a couple. I'm talking now to everyone in the room. And as a way of acknowledging Him. And as a way of saying, I want to be in the center because I know it's the most effective and efficient way to live. I want to be here. And I want you to engage this morning. Heart, mind, will. I want you to choose it. Okay, let's be silent for a second. Seriously, don't waste this. Let's let God do some work. Real work. Let's pray. So rain, please rain in us. Come purify our hearts. We need your touch. Come cleanse us. Because we have abdicated. Because it was easier, because we were lazy, because we didn't want to be disappointed, and it created all kinds of junk. Or... We have desperately clung and we've striven. Is that a word? We have made plan B and we have executed. And it has created disaster. <laughs> Look, let's be frank. Some of you this morning have flat out given birth to Ishmael. But here's the thing. He straightens everything out. So there's mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.